Welcome to the Choose Life Radio Network. Your host is Jill Taylor. Every week we bring you a candid conversation with someone who's making a difference for the cause of life. And now here's Jill to introduce today's guest on Choose Life Radio. Welcome to Choose Life Radio. I'm Jill Taylor, your host today. And we have a sweet little gal, Stephanie, who's joining us with a pretty poignant story. And I think one of the things that I am noticing is that sometimes it's really difficult to get that kind of a story out because it is powerful. And I think you are going to really appreciate it. So, Stephanie, I welcome you today. Thank you for joining us. Thank you for having me. I would love to start back at you as a child and the things that took place in your home. As you were growing up, you had a really rough home. Tell me about that. I was the youngest of five. My dad was a farmer in Kansas, so I was raised on a farm, and he was really gruff and didn't really speak to me um, unless he was yelling or saying to do something. Otherwise, he just pretty much ignored me. He never hugged me um, one time or never said he loved me one time. And, you know, I didn't really realize that was strange until I was way into my adulthood that that wasn't normal. I never even thought about it. Wow, that is really difficult to hear because young girls want their dads to love them. And so if he didn't express that to you, that must have been a real hole for you. So go on and tell me, did you do something that offended him or was he just that way with everybody or just you? My sister and I, he didn't really care for girls, so he was just, she's 10 years older than me. He didn't, he didn't really care for girls for some reason. He favored my brothers and he just didn't like us. He didn't sexually abuse us, but he drank a lot and he, he was just very harsh, extremely unloving. In his own way, he tried to show love, you know, like if I'd, I would say, you know, I need a little money for this for school. And, and he'd give me like 20 or 50. He had money, so that's how he would show his love, you know. And later on in life, I found out that he was abused by his one of his parents. And so he didn't really have anything to give out. The cycle of abuse, unless the person really comes to Christ, when they grow up, they don't have the bandwidth to love others as as they need to be loved. So your parents, when they married, were they believers? Did they become Christians? Did they go to church? Did you go to church with them? No, no, we didn't go to church at all. Both of my grandmothers went to church some, and there was a handful of times that I went with them as a child, but I didn't really grasp what was going on or anything about God. I didn't really know anything about God. I just got a Bible. I, I don't know, even remember who gave it to me, but I remember I was probably in the third grade, maybe, I'm not sure, and I was trying to read it. And I remember thinking, they said at church, you know, they talked about God's love and how much He loves us, but I can't understand any of this. Why would a God that is supposed to love us make it so hard for us to understand what He's saying? That's all I remember about that back then. I think for a girl, a dad figure is extremely important. 
and it's a connection. Of course, you got a great connection probably with your mom, although I would imagine your mom was kind of afraid of him. I don't know how afraid she was of him. I I don't think she was exactly. They, I remember, you know, them having kind of a lot of anger between each other, but my mom was really busy and she was working on the farm all the time. And she, you know, didn't really spend a lot of like quality time with us kids. We're just kind of there. Well, with me anyway, you know, I'm the last to come along. So I don't know how much time she spent with the other kids. So there you are growing up in this house. And did your older sister begin to come to you and say, hey, it's okay. This is the way it goes in our family. So she's 10 years older than me and she married right out of high school. So she was out of the house pretty quick. So I don't really remember her saying anything about that. I don't really remember her saying much of anything. But that's a statement, isn't it, that she gets married quickly to get out of that house, in essence. I would imagine that was a good goal for her. Did he change at all as you became more of an adult? I remember as an adult, I would go out there and visit once in a while, but he was extremely just a hardened person. You'd ask a question and he'd answer, and that's just kind of how it was. I read a quote one time, and and I'm thinking of it right now because of what you're saying, is when it comes time to die, make sure all you have to do is die. In essence, you don't have to figure out how to erase all the bad things you've done. It is important that your dad, when he came to die, that he understood that he had to ask forgiveness. Actually... My mom left him and divorced him when I was 10 years old because he had had an affair. I moved with her to town, and she didn't want to take anything. She had a brand-new Lincoln Continental. She had tons of stuff. She had tons of property. She didn't take anything. And so we lived kind of in poverty as she was trying to take care of herself and myself as a single mother, and I would go out to my dad's once in a while, but the person he had an affair with was living there, and so that was awkward. I appreciate that you really started your story at the very beginning and what was happening, because that is something that is really marked inside of you and wishing that you had a father who loved you, who would be coming and giving hugs and taking care of you. And I think that there might be other people hearing this message and saying, I had that myself. But it wasn't just that. When I was three or four, I remember I had an older brother that sexually abused me. So we also had that going on. Um, Nobody knew about it. I didn't probably think to say anything to anybody. I I don't know, but he was probably 12 years older than me. That was another thing that I had in my heart, but I I actually didn't remember much about it until I was starting to be, I kind of remembered it off and on, but it was so horrific that I would kind of block it out. But in my 30s, it was really crystal clear, and I had to work through a lot of that. That is amazing. You've got this big family and there's things going on that others don't know or are hiding from or 
I mean, it just really breaks my heart to imagine growing up in a family that you couldn't trust. In my family, even if I got mad at my dad or my mom or my brother or my sisters, I still could, you know, come back and we could resolve it. And we had the closeness of a family. And I'm so sorry that you didn't have that, sweetie. Thank you. And it sounds so crazy, but up until in my 20s, I thought my life was great and perfectly normal. I know that sounds insane, but that's all I ever knew. So I thought I didn't get beat. I didn't, you know, I thought I had a great childhood. I thought my dad was kind of quiet. I mean, and that's how I literally thought about that until later on when I really processed, because I guess I didn't want to, I held my mom and dad in such a high regard. I didn't want to see them through the lens of, reality because, you know, I just love them so much. I didn't want to think that they were capable of being mentally and emotionally abusive and and all these things. We're talking today with Stephanie, and she is sharing a very personal story. And we're going to take a quick break and come right back. We'll see you on the other side, listener, right here at Choose Life Radio. Jill will be back in a moment. But in the meantime, I want to share a thought from Dog Stories, a book by James Harriet, an English veterinarian and storyteller. In his down-home way, Harriet wrote about a dog who was hit by a car on a country road. Traveling not far behind, a young couple picked up the injured dog and took it to the closest vet, who was James Harriet. While attending the dog's mangled leg, the rickety table nearly collapsed. Harriet instinctively grabbed the dog and the couple who were strategically located at the table, immediately braced it with their knees till surgery was over. Although the positions were awkward and the table heavy, the couple held on. They took the dog with them and nursed him while on vacation. The next week, they stopped by with the dog and asked Harriet to check on his leg. Without any prompting from the vet, they assumed their roles as table braces while Harriet placed the dog on the rickety table. The author included the story in his book to highlight the healing that had taken place within the dog's body. But as Jill and I talked, it's the young couple who grabs our attention. While not veterinarians, they made the surgery and follow-up possible. I can't help but draw a parallel between the couple whose knees held steady the table and you, our Choose Life Radio family, who for nearly five years have held steady and braced this life-affirming radio and podcast ministry. A similar story can be found in Exodus 17. It's about Aaron and her who stood with Moses and helped keep his staff held high. Those associated with the Choose Life Radio family realize how important our family of contributors is. Without your prayer and generous financial support, we wouldn't be on radio. But with you and friends like you steadying the table, we continue to share the sanctity of human life. In an effort to keep steady the surgery table, so to speak, your gift today is more important than ever, whatever amount you may choose to give. You can send your gift today through our online portal at chooseliferadio.com, or you can send your gift to Choose Life Radio, Post Office Box 36622, Canton, Ohio, 44735. Thank you for sending your generous gift today. You make it possible to share the value and sanctity of life on this station. Welcome back to Choose Life Radio. I'm Jill Taylor, and we have a very special guest, and we are calling her only Stephanie. Because the story that she's sharing is literally from birth to where she is now. 
and it's very powerful, and it's very sad. If you are just joining us now, you'll want to go back and pick up the first half of this. Stephanie, thank you again for joining us. I'm so grateful that you are able to share this story. I'd love to have you pick it up after maybe, you know, as you're becoming 18, 17, whatever your age is, awareness of other guys, and you're realizing some of the things that happened already in your life. Would you begin to tell your story at that point? Yes. I was living with my mother, going to high school. I was 16, and my friends and would go out and go to parties and stuff. And so she let me go, too. You know, that probably wasn't a good idea. And I thought, well, if mom thinks it's okay. And then I, at 16, I met a guy. And at 17... I got married to him. He was in the Army, and we were sent to Germany for a couple of years. At 17? Yes, yes. 17. And then we were sent to Germany for a couple of years. I had a son. He's now around 35. But during that time when my son was around a year old, that husband had an affair and uh, told me one day he didn't love me or want me anymore and sent us back to the States. I was with my mom for a little while. I didn't have any job skills. I didn't have any anything. And so I met a man. I got pregnant. And uh, I had an abortion at age, at age 21. I didn't know the Lord. I didn't really know what I was, I was actually allowing to be done. As unreal as it seems, I didn't have the full realization that I was allowing a medical doctor to kill my baby. I know that sounds crazy, but there is some kind of unawareness that what is actually happening or what you're doing, it's hard to explain. But um, So when I got to the clinic, I filled out the paperwork, and they gave me some kind of pill to help me relax, they said. And my boyfriend at the time said that after that pill, I seemed happy and smiling, and that's a sick thing, but that's what they do. And then they give you a paper to sign after you're on the pill, giving them consent to do all these things, but they make sure that pill's kicked in and you're all happy. I don't know what it was, but, and then, you know, you just sign away and carefree immediately after the procedure At that point, I instantly knew that they had just killed the baby inside of me. And I frantically asked the nurse, I said, was it a boy or girl? Was it a boy or girl? Over and over. I just felt I had to know. And I just realized that this was a human life that I had allowed to be killed. She looked at me like I was crazy. She wouldn't answer me. And and after that, I bawled and screamed all the way the two hours home. It was a horrific. I was in such deep desperation and agony, and I knew that it could never be reversed, and my baby was gone forever. And in the following years, I had extreme anxiety and depression. I would liken it very much to PTSD. Then I started going to church. I wanted to be baptized. You know, I guess I thought that was going to wash all this away. I didn't know how to get rid of this feeling, this guilt, and 
this horror that I had carried with me every day. And so the pastor filled the baptismal, but I couldn't go through with it. I felt I was too evil. I was too horrific of a person to be even worthy to be baptized. So a few weeks later, I tried it again, but it had the same result. I couldn't go through with it. So the pastor talked to me, and the third time, I was baptized. But it still didn't take away my deep guilt and shame. Stephanie, I'm hearing tears from you as you're telling this. And I think that our listener understands this is a story that we really have never had so deep of a sharing of what has gone on in someone's life. And I think, especially as Christians, we just don't really understand how people are treated and how ignorant they are about life because no one has valued them and no one has valued their lives. If you are thinking about getting an abortion, there are so many options you can choose besides that. It will affect every area of your life, deep depression, underlying constant anxiety and stress, addiction to drugs, alcohol, food. You'll truly have no peace. You will always feel like something is wrong, but you can't get away from it. And if you've had an abortion and carry the weight of that deep guilt and shame, know that if you have asked God to forgive you, He has forgiven you. And the enemy of our souls likes to keep throwing past sins we've confessed and repented from back into our face. Do know that God's immeasurable grace has washed that away, and you will see your child on the other side of this world. The story that you're sharing, I just know, is touching the hearts of people who are listening. And as hard as it is to tell this story, it's a gift to someone else who has been locked up in theirs. And so I thank you for the truth of what you're sharing and the misery. And you know what? I just can't imagine how God must have cried to see all these things happening to you. Tell me about your opportunity to know Christ and what he did for you. For two years after that, a couple of years, I was drinking every weekend. I was trying to drown out the sin that was in my head. And at age 26, I started reading the Bible and praying and started going to church and developed an amazing relationship with the Lord. And I started walking in a lot of joy and peace and free of the guilt that I had. I was a new creation in Christ and, and on fire for the Lord. And the Lord delivered me from cigarettes and alcohol in one day. It was a couple of days after I'd really gotten saved and after that, I was still seeing the man that I had gotten pregnant and had an abortion with, and I ended up marrying him. And when I was 33 years old, I had a little girl, and he was not a nice person. That's what I'll say. So we divorced nine years later, and she was three years old at the time. Her name's Sarah. And so you had custody of little Sarah, three years old. Yes. She would have to go to see him on the weekends. Did you trust him? I mean, I trusted him, I guess, but he just wasn't a nice person. And It's the same thing you were in. If we go back to the beginning of your story, it's the same thing. You were young, and you didn't know what was going on. So you had, had to have a mindset of your little three-year-old and worried about 
her going into a situation that might be bad. Well, yeah, and I didn't want her to grow up, be around a toxic marriage, you know, because that's what it was. And then my son, from my marriage when I was 17, he was about eight years old when we got married. And Sarah's dad was very, very emotionally and mentally abusive to him. But to me, that was normal. That's what I grew up with. But when he was around 16, I just felt like I couldn't take it anymore for his sake. He he wasn't really mean or gruff with Sarah, my ex-husband, but he was with my son, his stepson. So, yes, I divorced him. That is, again, another big bridge that you had to cross over that someone who's listening knows what you have gone through. I really hope that we hear who you are now and where you are now and the results of what maybe your kids are dealing with themselves. So you have a daughter and a son, and I'm curious, tell me a little bit about your daughter. Well, she was really shy growing up, and we noticed that she had some different behaviors maybe than some kids when she was even in high school. She's 22 now, but she would be like if she went up to somebody's house to knock on the door, she would freeze and she wouldn't be able to knock on the door and just different things like that. And bringing you up to last year, she started going into depression and they put her on an antidepressant. That antidepressant made her suicidal. So she was put into a mental hospital. They gave her a different antidepressant, which actually did the same thing, and she came out of there. They increased that dose, and she was suicidal again. They let her out, and then in the midst of all this, she was becoming friends with another girl that was getting her into vaping and drinking and tattooing and whatever. We had a talk with her and said she really needed to get out of that relationship, that it wasn't good for her, and she really understood that. And for around a month or so, she was out of that relationship, and she was doing really well, working, and and then the girl came back into her life and was texting and calling a lot and got her back into that friendship. And then this past October... They had been talking and planning some things behind the scenes, and Sarah disappeared one day. And I texted her, where are you? And she said she had moved away to live with this friend two and a half hours away in a little tiny house that was in a trailer park. And um, she came back for Thanksgiving, and she just seemed kind of distant, but everything went okay. And she still living over there, and we've been really concerned because she was having relations with a 33-year-old man who was convicted of sexual molestation of a nine-year-old several years ago when he was in prison. We've tried to talk to Sarah about that. We've just been praying that she would get out of that relationship and the Lord would speak to her and bring her back to himself and back here to this area where she's surrounded with family and friends that love her and not so far away where there's so many bad influences and 
I just ask if you're listening right now that if you could please lift her up in prayers. I totally agree with you. If you can pray for Sarah, you don't know Sarah, you don't know where she is, and yet Stephanie is sharing with you that this is her daughter, and she asks for you to please pray for Sarah. And Sarah is a a bit lost, clearly. I'm sure that it's going to be very difficult for her to make any good decisions at this point with the people that surround her. If you don't mind, I'd like our listeners to join me and with you pray for Sarah. Father God, this is a very complex story. It's a family that has experienced not what you want, not the love that your son shows us. And Sarah has made some decisions that are very, very difficult for her, Lord. And we ask you, you're mighty, you're able, you can do the things that we can't do. We ask that you will bring her home. The home will be a place where she's safe and that she can begin to understand your love for her, which is very different than what she's being told love is like now. We ask this now in the name of your Son, Jesus Christ, our Lord. Thank you, God. Amen. And thank you so much for sharing this, Stephanie. This is a very difficult story, probably the hardest story I've ever had. Thank you for coming and being a part of Choose Life Radio. I'm Jill Taylor, and I'll see you right here on Choose Life Radio. The preceding program was sponsored by the Choose Life Radio Network of Canton, Ohio.